How you guys doing, Chile Magic family? It's your host, Mark Karaki. Bringing you yet another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the awesome privilege of sitting down with Mr. Nader Abdel Razik, CEO and co-founder at MoneyHash, which is a Middle East and Africa-focused fintech company that is tackling the notorious problem of payments orchestration in e-commerce. Anybody who's been building anything in e-commerce across uh, emerging markets or pretty much anywhere in the world is faced with these challenges of having different types of payments uh, pay in, whether it's payout, whether it's card, cash, wallets, crypto now, direct to bank. Uh, and you have to, as an, as an e-commerce business, you have to orchestrate all these different sources of uh, payments and payouts and reconcile them. Notorious problem, which Mr. Nader and his amazing team that is global and remote is tackling. Huge, huge problem, huge opportunity, fantastic founder. You'll hear the story of how he came up through the, the Arab Spring and how that triggered a question in his mind. How come the experts got it wrong when in terms of predicting the outcomes of uh, how that would play out? He's, uh, he's originally from, from Egypt, and which was the epicenter of the Arab Spring. That's a fantastic story of a founder who is infinitely curious, sharp as a tack, determined, but also has his feet firmly planted on the ground and is completely unpretentious and just just an amazing story, uh, as you will hear in, in this conversation. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Mr. Nader. How are you? All good. All good. How are you, man? Uh, pretty good, man. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Absolutely. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we were just talking uh, before offline. And you're, you're mentioning that you're starting the day. You're, you're in San Francisco right now. Um, how, how are things? How, how's the weather over there? I know it's been uh, a hot summer, but San, San Francisco tends to be very cool. How, how, how are things going on over there? It's it's on and off, but it's usually uh, it's usually quite nice. It got a little uh, hot for a couple of days, but rather than that, uh, can't complain. It's California, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And and where in San Francisco do you live? Which neighborhood? Because I lived in San Francisco also, in the you know, out of Richmond area for a couple of years. Yeah, so I'm in uh, I'm in Oakland, which is uh, you uh-huh. know on, on the yeah. other side of the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> even even better. I, I I actually that was the last place I lived before I moved back to to Kenya. So nice. cool stuff. Yeah, Thanks. I I I miss Oakland. It was a, it was a fun experience. Um and so yeah buddy so really excited about what, what you're doing and for me oh. talking to African founders uh and founders who are building in Africa is or for Africa is always exciting. Uh the notion that you're building for Africa and not not on the ground but you're from Africa it's 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 a very it says a lot about the world in which you live in right now. Of, uh, it's it's a very um, porous world, right? You can do anything from anywhere for anyone. So, yeah. Uh, what's that experience been like for you so far? Has been great. I mean, I mean, the time difference is is crazy. So I, we have been uh, we have been working on Money Hash for a couple of years. Um, like we're we're three co-founders, so two of us. Is based here in San Francisco uh, Bay Area, and and one is based in Egypt. Um, the remaining team is across actually seven countries. So we have people in Egypt, people in Lagos, people in Dubai, people in Johannesburg, which is which is really fantastic. So it is it is a humbling experience just getting to know everyone, working with everyone, having such a shared mission is is a very humbling thing. Yeah, very cool, very cool. And before we dive into kind of the details of that, because I want to, I definitely want to kind of talk about Money Ash and and how you became on, uh, what what what's going on with that and the idea, because I think it's a very very much needed, uh, it's a big problem you're solving and very very much needed solution. But before we dive into that, I always like to kind of find out more about you. You know, like I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you, it is what stands out very clearly is very many short stints across and quite a number of diverse projects and organizations, all the way from education to big tech to now found, founding a startup. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite accurate. So I, I actually wasn't into the startup world or, or the business world even at all. I, I graduated from engineering in 2010 
And I, uh, at this time, there was the Arab Spring in, in, in the Middle East, and I kind of wanted to engage politically and understand how the world works and stuff. So I went for academia. I went for grad school. I went studying research projects. So if you looked at my career, it's like jumping from one academic project to another, one research to another, and has, has nothing to do with startups, like working with refugees, working with um, economic development and R&D kind of stuff. Um, and this all ended in 2017, uh, because at, at some point I felt academic was too slow to, for, for what I, what I want to achieve. And I wanted like a tangible impact. And I was too excited about blockchain and at that time, the, the decentralized world was very fascinating to me. Uh, so a, f a friend who, who started a startup in Tunisia was, uh, was very generous to, to host me to, to build a blockchain bootcamp in Tunisia. Uh, and this was the first startup I worked in, uh, and one startup led to another and blockchain led to FinTech and FinTech led to payments and payments led to money hash. And here we are. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that's uh, so. I, I, and and the, so, when you tie that back, because you know, we always somebody somebody made this statement that I thought is very appropriate. It's easier to connect the dots backwards, right? So when you look yeah. back at when you're growing when you grew, when you're growing up, I guess you grew up in in Egypt. Right? Did you grow up in yeah. Cairo or? Correct. Okay. What what was your aspirations? What did you want to be when you when you grew up? What were you What were your goals? What What were you trying to become? Mm, mm, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, I think most, most kids in, in my age at that time was very fascinated by technology, right? Like when we, when we all started in high school or in middle school, looking at technology, this was like during, uh, windows, uh, you know, 95 and like this is the beginning of everything for for the emerging market to, to look at things. So I, I was uh, doing this programming on DOS and, uh, and these like very basic things when I was young. So technology was fascinating. I think going through college, um, you kind of do some self-explorations there. So I was kind of happy about being an engineer, being about a builder, uh, but I had this itch for, um, for knowing that knowledge is not enough. Like I, I always felt like there is more is that you need to learn holistically, like a big picture mm. kind of, uh, mm. issue. And when, mm. and when the Arab Spring happened as well, it was kind of very uncomfortable situation because you would see economic experts, uh, involved in the region is struggling to figure out how the region should move forward. And I'm like, if the experts can't figure it out who will, like, that's a very confusing, uh, position to be. Right. So this kind of initiated me shopping for knowledge, like literally thinking that like, I need to go from the technology, go learn a little politics, little, little economics, little, uh, management. I, I wanted to be like, uh, a, a deeper generalist in the sense to be, to be useful. That's, uh, mm -hmm. but there wasn't. <laughs> There wasn't like a specific dream of how I can be used. There was, uh, how I can be ready more of uh, yeah. thinking. Oh, how you can be ready. Is that what you Yep. Said? Yep. Wow. Ready for what? Uh, ready for being a better expert. That was the idea. Like I was kind of frustrated at, uh, at how the region was managed at that uh. time with everything. And I thought, uh, if, if, uh, economic experts some political experts, all very narrow minded on their field, all don't understand, maybe I need to build a holistic, a holistic view and then see how I can contribute, uh, funny enough, like 10 or, or nine years later, I'm contributing in financial infrastructure, which wouldn't have been an expected answer to this issue, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's so, that's so, that's so cool. I mean, you know, I mean, the your life is still ahead of you. So, and, yeah. and, and what you're solving for, who knows what is, what impacts it will have, right? The idea that it can enable yeah. entrepreneurship and, and, and payments is, is the lifeblood of any economy. So yeah. in some way, even if it's infrastructure, it's the impacts it can have. So, you know, connecting yeah. those dots means not, it's not too far. And you mentioned the IRS spring a couple of times. And I remember when that kind of happened, um, I think it was 2009, 2010 time, time frame. 
And at the time I was in California and I was looking at, we were all looking at this from around the world and just wondering like, holy cow, this is a seminal moment in history. Yeah. Question for you there is, was it a surprise for you when it happened? How did you, what, how did you respond to this? I mean, it, I, I think that's, that's only my feeling, but I think, I think it's a mutual that, that everyone was kind of surprised, but at the same time, it was kind of like a buildup for any, for any oppressive kind of environment to, to blow up at some point. Um, sadly enough, the journey wasn't successful to, to kind of restore everything. And we're kind of like back in, a, in, in, in similar, uh, similar situations, but, um, but the overall sentiment at that time is a younger generation and, and, uh, and everyone contributing will have like a, a totally new page to kind of paint everything, uh, which I think all, all the world kind of assume underestimating how deep old politics uh is 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 running across uh, across all uh, all countries there and this is why i'm fascinated with business right now because like to be fully honest business is now the only fair way to help people mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know what you're doing you know how tangible it is it, it, it brings jobs it brings the economy forward it make people move forward that it doesn't have to be about conflict it can be all about right. prosperity together uh, right. And I'm proud of many countries in, in, in Middle East and Africa for what they will have been doing in the last five, 10 years. Uh, as a first time founder, I feel like very empowered compa in comparison to people who was doing the same journey 10 years ago and how li little of resources they had and success stories right. they, can, they can build upon, you know. You know, it's very interesting because, you know, um, uh, I run a venture studio and our models are a bit different. Uh, what we do is we take college grants and we mash them into innovation entrepreneurship journey, right? It says more training, people development, even as we build projects. Mm -hmm. And I always tell our, our young people that what I'm really working on is this idea called a thousand Lee Kuan Yews. I don't know if you know who, are you familiar with Lee Kuan Yew? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Okay. So, so Lee Kuan Yew is actually the founding father of Singapore. And he came, you know, from the independence movement, all the companies that were pre-colonial uh, nations. He was of that generation. And mm. he was the only one, I believe, who actually took a third world country to first world in one generation. Mm. And yeah, so, so fascinating uh, human being. I believe he is the most under-reported, under-read, under-studied personality in the 20th century, for sure. And I'm reading his book right now called Third World First, as a matter of fact. And I, if you want to become an expert <laughs> who is effective, I would definitely recommend that you pick this book up because this is a study in terms of how you move the needle, in terms of, I think, how you're trying to think about that. So Third World First by Lee Kuan Yew, study this gentleman, my friend. And, um, and so why I say, why I tell our young people it's, uh, the ultimate goal is a thousand Lee Kuan Yews, is because we need the kind of people who are experts who can move the needle, right? They can know yeah. how to how to do things and bring the right type of change in society. And I think that's maybe what you're after somehow, you know, deep inside there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to bring, 100%. you want to, yeah. And so, 100%. so maybe that book can maybe that book can help you. But now to more kind of um, prosaic matters, uh, you know, your startup journey. So, what is yeah. Cash? And what, what problem are you guys trying to solve? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, for, I mean, first, I'm very, I'm very fascinated by, by the venture work you're doing. So, so part of my studies was, was ecosystem building, uh, any ecosystem, whether organic or, or managerial related. So every time I find the company working on being an enabler or being an, a small ecosystem that kind of propagates, I have like a deep appreciation to, to the struggles you're going through because you gotta try to address everything in, in a small yeah. studio. Kind of thing. Uh, but in the same time, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a really good journey to have. So like, just wanted to, to say that before, before jumping in, uh, in money hash journey kind of thing. Um, 
Money Hash actually originated as an initiative of me and a friend of mine wanted to work together and didn't know what uh, what to work on. <laughs> uh, we had kind of like um, frustration built up from payment related uh, uh, or the dust payment industry related uh, experience because kind of we felt that the technology that exists in the region is not really helping businesses uh, move forward when it comes to like accepting and, and, and moving money and, and all of that. And um, what's fascinating about startups and, and, and scale-ups in, in the US and Europe and stuff is you have all the tools to quickly spin, spin up a, a company and start and integrate everything and put the tools and you can be testing your product in few weeks, you can scale it in in few months. Like this speed thing is 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 quite empowering, um, and you can see in the regions that most companies uh, before the last couple of years have been successful if they are operational, if they are delivery companies or grocery companies or this or that. But like if they are pure tech, they 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 usually either get acquired or hit a certain ceiling of quality. That they kind of can't uh, can't cross in, in that case. Um, so we build on a previous experience in which we we knew that companies eventually get stuck in the payment space on one or two roads. They they start with a payment partner. This payment partner is providing acceptance and some features and stuff. It, it seems great. And then at some point you want to scale to another com- country. You want to bring a different payment method. You want to add a different feature. And, and that's it. This is your ceiling. If you want to cross this ceiling, you have to do it yourself. Mix multiple providers and stuff. And now 30, 40% of your tech capacity need to go manage payments, which is a different product. This is not your product, you know. Uh, <laughs> or you have to, like, you know, suck it up <laughs> and work with what you have, you know, work with around your partner kind of thing. So we, we built Money Hash, which is, it exists in the industry of, Payment orchestration and revenue operation API. And, and what that means is we are a middleware operating system of payments. So we're not a payment company in, in, in the traditional sense that we are a licensed payment processing company that moves the money and everything. No, it's a piece of software, a really cool piece of software that you put in, in your company. It kind of take over everything payment related and becomes similar to how you, you deal with AWS for the cloud. If you use the money hash, we are the cloud of money for you. We manage uh, integration with the payment providers at the different markets. We manage the checkout experience, the transaction workflow, the microservices and the different features that you need, whether subscriptions, wallet, and, and, and all of that. And we bring the reporting of all the transactions from all the countries, all the currencies, all the providers together in, in, in one place, aiming to make, to alleviate the quality of building such a sensitive infrastructure in the region for companies there. Uh, but most importantly, to spare their hand to focus on the actual values they are trying to bring, uh, mm-hmm. especially for for medium and scale, like and, and, and large scale companies. We want more unicorns in the region. And one of the catalysts to bring such big companies in the regions that have impact is to to give them as much gross catalysts as possible. And we hope to be like one of them. Amazing. So in terms of, you know, um, comparisons or comparables, right? Uh, you mentioned the AWS of payments. And, and that's, if you look at the West, right? What is the example of what you guys are? Are you guys, um, it doesn't sound like you're Stripe. You're more than Stripe. You're, you're not like, who is, who are you like that has already been built out there? Are you played yep. or you're not played? What, who are you? What are you guys? I, I are, love this yeah. question. We get it. We get it all the time, especially from investors. It's just like they want to, because also when you're building in Africa, you always, you always want to be compared to someone that made it already. It's kind of like we have to be following something, but we're actually not. We're we're, we're starting this in the same time uh, Europe and the US is building this uh, around that. So I don't think there is much unicorns in that space yet. 
which is what's so exciting for us because we think this is the time to to start matching up speed a little bit. This is not about following an established model and try to adapt it. Uh, but payment orchestration existed for the last five, 10 years. There is companies like Zoos, Spreadly, uh, Exupay, uh, and there is like new ones like Primer and Gravy. These are in the US and, and Europe that are quite, uh, quite famous, growing fast, uh, and we we we're, we're kind of like the first one in in um, in Middle East and Africa, and a part of few companies that's starting to define this category in uh, in emerging markets, which is a double-edged sword in that case. It's giving us a lot of opportunity to to grow and have space to experiment, and at the same time, of course, like a first timer need to learn everything and, and take the first hit on everything before uh, before they make it. Mm, yeah. And so just to kind of dig a little bit more deeper so we, our, our audience can understand why they would u- use you when they would need you or, or, or how that would, how you actually fit into the payments ecosystem, right? So you have the uh, pay stacks of the world, right? Which is, yeah. And then you have the payment gateways and, and then you have uh, you know, the flatter waves of the world. So yep. how do you fit into this ecosystem? When would I, when would I come to you or who is your ideal customer and when, when do they need you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as, as I mentioned, think of us as a catalyst, which means you can always figure out things without money hash, but with money hash, you're basically, um, giving your system kind of like superpowers or un- unlocking things that was logged on, on you before. So we, we do believe that companies are totally fine integrating directly with Stripe, PayPal, Flutterwave, Paystack, and start building and, and, and growing. We think this growth is very limited if it doesn't have an operating system sitting in the middle, making your product uh, lighter and faster when it comes to, to dealing with payments there. So MoneyHash is an upgrade for how you should be doing payment features in, in, in that sense. We do believe that the challenges we solve is more on the medium and large size companies than on the small one. In the small one, you want to move quickly. You're probably focusing on, on a single market. Uh, so connecting with a single payment gateway and get things up and running. Unless you're really strategic about thinking about payment and want things to be built right from the beginning. But mm-hmm. we encourage the startups to do mistakes in the beginning, like do not try to optimize for everything. So, right. so that's totally fine. But at a certain point, once you're trying to scale, which appears in a startup around Series A, suddenly you're looking at like different markets, different payment methods, how to adjust the checkout experience, how to make sure failure of payments doesn't happen. Once you are in this space, you end up doing a lot of work in-house in which one or two of your engineers are actually keep getting payment-related features in your sprint while you can be using money hash and all of this disappears and you can experiment and grow and, and iterate and, and, and build. Most companies that we work with are in the tourism space, e-commerce space, fintech space, the platforms or marketplaces. And as you can see from these examples, these are companies that the checkout and the payment experience has high stakes for them. Mm-hmm. And it's complicated to figure out is it whether because it's geographically distributed or because mm-hmm. the nature of the business is complicated. Like a marketplace, for example, you're collecting money from one side of the market to give it to another. And mm-hmm. each, so each side has a different payment method and different currency and you need to manage all of that, you can do it in-house and keep building features just to manage money, or you can use money hash and suddenly everything opens up by a couple of weeks work was, was integrating with us in the beginning and that's it. Amazing. Cool. Um, so how broad is your potential operating f- footprint in regards to the different payment providers, integrations you have? Because it's, it's a global marketplace right now. You have PayPal, which is global. Your Stripe is global. I mean, arguably, are you beyond mid, you know, Middle East and, and Africa in terms of usability? Can somebody, you know, how, how, far, how, how big of a problem are you solving? Is it, is it, is it global? Because it sounds to me like there's no reason why you should just be Middle East and Africa. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. We think the problem is global. We think emerging markets need a different product than the than the rest of the world. Uh, we're talking about majorly unbanked populations, so card payments is not really dominant here. Orchestration mm-hmm. companies that are focusing on on card payments and uh, and failure of card processing and subscriptions and things like that. That's how it works in in most. Uh, equivalent companies in US and Europe. For us, we're an emerging market-friendly infrastructure. That means we embrace cash-based methods, we embrace manual methods, uh, we build everything around uh, low-tech capacity in the region, so things are no-code, things are uh, are easy to build and easy to simulate. Um, so that's our specialization. We're starting with Middle Eastern Africa out of passion and uh, and the specialization is well from the region. We understand it. We know how to navigate it. But customers come to us and be like, okay, I just launched it with you guys in Nigeria, but I'm, we're exploring Mexico. Can you integrate that? I'll be like, sure. Like The infrastructure itself is agnostic, uh, but our superpower is emerging markets and double superpower for Middle Eastern Africa, for sure. Got it. Got it. And you talked about we, right? And... Um... Who's who's on the team, right? Who are the who are your co-founders, and where did you guys get together? Yeah, yeah. So Mustafa, my my co-founder and CTO, is a dear friend. Uh, we worked together in a payment company for about a year. I think COVID hit, and we kind of uh, left this company and started searching for jobs and stuff. And in the middle of that, we felt like there is something we can we can work on together, and and we looked at our existing projects and things and started doing that. Uh, and he's a fantastic technologist, spent his entire career. He dropped out of college and has been coding his entire life and working in the startups his entire life. No corporate, no, like it's literally like pure story of uh, of a developer focusing on building and, and, and scaling products there. And then, um, the idea started was like, let's build an API that kind of standardize all other APIs situation. And then we suddenly realized it's going to be as big as, uh, as a product, as big as AWS. And we hope it becomes as big as them business-wise. Uh, so we felt we need another co-founder that can spearhead product-related stuff. I'm more business strategy kind of uh, person there. So I know Anisha through my my wife. We they uh, they have been to college together, and, and she's kind of my uh, my Silicon Valley go to person. She's a first employee in Nerd Wallet and, and scales into multi million dollar business. And they exit at some point and work it in six figure and stuff. So pure product, pure fintech, her entire career. Um, so we approached her, she quit her job and joined us. Uh, I'm very humbled by the trust of both of them because they are very specialized, talented people. And I am more uh, like out of the box kind of new founder. <laughs> uh, so for them to trust my leadership uh, is, is, uh, is uh, quite humbling as well. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's how, how it all came together. Fantastic. And so you guys have been working on this for a couple of years now. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the first year we stayed uh, in beta because uh, we wanted to kind of study everything. There's too many payment methods, too many markets. Uh, so we spent time testing and, and, and building things. Because this is not like a product that you can throw it in the market and then iterate. There is a certain quality that you need to hit when you launch, uh, given how sensitive this infrastructure is. We did that. We we launched it back in uh, March, I think, uh, Middle East and North Africa only, and we kept uh, Sub-Saharan Africa on beta. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we started adding more integration in Sub-Saharan Africa, and we're launching actually in Sub-Saharan Africa soon, uh, covering the integrations in, in Nigeria and Kenya and South Africa and uh, in other uh, in other countries around the western uh, and the north. There. Amazing! Very cool. So. Couple of years in, uh, first year was just kind of building, beta, testing, optimizing, making sure you're not going to, because obviously payments is very sensitive, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And then, interestingly, um, you know, you you also raised a little bit of money in that in that in that in that period. Uh, we did. We talk about that, right? How how much have you raised so far? And and uh, you know, 
how did that process go? Because I, I I looked at your the article that uh, was out uh, was out to TechCrunch and quite a number of notable early stage funds, angel networks, you know, yeah. or who if you see circling around an opportunity, you know, there's something there. You know, yeah. how much have you raised that, and and how did this come about? How did you attract these notables? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we we did we did a couple of fundraisings. One was to leave our jobs, basically. So we we raised like two hundred and fifty thousand in the beginning because me and Mustafa basically had no money to start the company. So it was kind of uh, important to get some money in the bank to right. uh, to pay ourselves the minimums and start working. And then after that. Once we had a solid plan, uh, we started raising uh, our larger pre-seed round, which is the three million you saw the, the TechCrunch uh, article on. Um, we we do believe that fundraising in, in the region is, is quite quite a tough game to to play because uh, it's such a strategic decision to do in a such short amount of time with so much pressure. Because first, in every single call you're taking from an investor, you're actually taking time from building and helping your customers. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so it is, it is like a, a chicken and egg kind of uh, kind of problem. Um, and the the investment process takes a lot of back and forth, takes a lot of uh, preparing documents and sit, trying to think about everything. And the region has a lot of investors that are quite skeptical when they approach investors, like. It's like how to find where is where is uh, where is the problem? Yeah, What's the problem? The problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something must be wrong. So let's let's uh, take you in a three to six months journey to tell you that you might you're probably wrong <laughs> and it will not impact you. Um, but but we were lucky because we kind of like spend our time trying to figure out who are the thoughtful partners in the regions that has been investing for a while, understanding how this works, but also have a fresh perspective on uh, the the hands-on investment in which you help your companies grow, you enable the founders, you you do that. And we reached out to these investors and spoke heart to heart, connected with, uh, with, uh, with a bunch. And we had a strategic kind of mandate to bring uh, as many of the small emerging funds around the region to have a representative cap table to be able to to tap on the local experience across. Uh, so actually, like Nigeria has a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of funds. Kenya has a couple of funds. Uh, Egypt and UAE and Saudi Arabia. So like all our major markets, we have we have one or two funds that are uh, really connected in this market and can help us uh, can help us answer questions. Um, so this this was. Was fun to do. Was 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 a good uh, was a good position to be in uh, early on. Amazing. How did you miss from here ventures? Sorry, I didn't. Hear. How, how did you miss from here ventures in your search? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah. Don't... <laughs> I'll tell uh, you. Why. I'll tell you why. Um, we we we. So I I run from here ventures. Uh, we are early stage pre-seed and seed stage fund. We just started investing in Q2 this this year. And um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what was, it was a trick question because you could not, it, when did you close your round? Was that, uh, when did you close the round? I think, I think it got officially closed like money-wise in November last year, but we announced it uh, shortly before the launch. So we announced it three months after or something like that. Got it. Yeah. So we were kind of just kicking off our fundraising at that point, but, uh, but yeah, we should, we should, we should, de- we should definitely talk because everything you're talking about is, is how we are architected as a fund. Um, and so, yeah. And so you've kind of described a little bit of a process. You are very thoughtful in terms of researching who you would like to have on your cap table and you approached that not, it sounds to me like you didn't approach that as a pitch, but more as a conversation. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We we do believe that uh, that there is no entitlement and ego here. We're not kind of like building this to be like the best business in the world, and we gotta like uh, redefine everything and 
and and what amazing founders and like all the all the sphere. We're we're just excited about building. We know what we want to build. We know our character, and we know who we want to work with. Uh, we bounce ideas together. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, we will figure something out. Um, and and along this journey, we will learn. If we if this learning resulted in success, that's fantastic. If it didn't, uh, we would have helped a bunch of people learn a lot about payments, and they can help other companies uh, moving forward. So we we see this in a much uh, in a much chill strategic uh, position than. Uh, the usual uh, ego-driven pressure of the entrepreneur, like doing all <laughs> scaling stuff. the mountain, and yeah, uh, <laughs> a unicorn. In, yeah, I, I, it's amazing you're saying this because it's like a breath of fresh air. You know, just yesterday we were talking to an entrepreneur, and he he was insisting <laughs> that they're going to be a unicorn in three to five years. First-time entrepreneur, obviously, and uh, they have forty-two uh, customers. Uh, in in B two B, and they're gonna be a unicorn in three to five years. And I'm just like, you don't you don't have to say that because it's not true. But and you don't you shouldn't feel like you need to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, we all we all aspiring to be to be in that position. Uh, but yeah, as long as he he has the data, he's, he's fine. If you can support <laughs> it with data, you're good man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. So, um, okay, so you know, you've raised uh, is it how much total to date? Uh, three million and a quarter, I think. Three and a quarter million, and that quarter million was the first quarter million yeah, you yeah, exactly. to kind of keep the lights on and allow you to go down yep. this path. Yeah, yep. fantastic. So, so how has the company grown since the you know what's the current headcount? Um, you know, how, how does the team look like? And then you guys are in seven countries and so on and so forth. Yeah. What's the total yeah. headcount? I think we're we're twenty six right now. Uh, as you can see, we're distributed across across the region. A, a couple of us in 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 US and some in in Europe as well, Netherlands and, and Germany. Um, but majority of the team is uh, is either based in the region or uh, originally from the region, uh, and and they live abroad kind of situation. When we launched it, it was it was quite an experience. We got suddenly a lot of uh, inbound interest from companies in in the region, which we didn't expect. We thought that um, that's a product we need to educate customers, the market, to stay, right. Um, right. which is still the case. But but it was it was exciting to see some companies that was like literally waited for something for so long, and then suddenly they are sending us this request and stuff. So this got us freaked out a little bit, we weren't ready for it. So it took us like a, a, a quarter or a quarter and a half to kind of tweak everything and make it like ready for uh, for being demand-based. Um, we picked a small cohort of companies and we're working with them and, and get them live and, and onboarded. So we're still kind of 50% building, 50% getting the first few customers in place. And, and uh, we call them the customer love cohort. The first, uh, the first 25 customers to get them delighted with this experience before we think about uh, revenue and, and scale and everything. Amazing. So are you still in that mode where you have your, yeah. your, your 25? Okay. Amazing. Um, and so it sounds, you, you mentioned medium and large enterprises kind of is your, is your market yeah. segment. You know, so, and it sounds to me like they found this inbound, right? They find you online, and then, but it's it's, it's a conversation. Yep. How does how does your customer acquisition model work, right? Is it sales driven? Is it I can just pull your APIs and plug them into what I'm doing and hit the road? How, how does this work? Well, I think the two the two approaches you mentioned exist, but they are different in 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 when they happen because it, it is sales driven when it comes to understanding the product and defining how it will match your payment strategy and and which which part of the infrastructure to start with but then when you start it's an easy to plug in and immediately get it uh, get it off the road and it's quite modular so we rarely have a customer request that can't be fulfilled kind of uh, situation and that was the beauty of us being in beta for some time is that we we didn't compromise the infrastructure uh, in in our building in the beginning, uh, so that's kind of how how we are. We 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 build the team, 
we call them internally payment strategists. Our, their goal is to help the company define the payment strategy on the different levels and define their priorities. And then we pick a priorities that seem to be urgent, seem to be focused, seem to be quick, quick win. We work on it together. And, and because we're a super API, if we work on one, we can work on many. So things kind of uh, scale from there. Amazing. It's almost like a sales solutions consultant engineer kind of team. Is that is that what these people yeah. are? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Okay. So classic uh, enterprise sales, go to market, selling deep tech kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is that is that how you see your go to market motion look like? Is that how you guys are going to scale or grow? I think I think we're not we're not there yet to put mental bandwidths on the scale and grow. We're kind of figuring out the first step uh, in the beginning. Reading about like companies like Atlassian, Zapier, Sigmund, which is like the companies that are that build kind of like similar products that has uh, pure software identity and stuff. I think with time, once you build this reputation and category defining kind of position, you start to have an element of self-serve, an element of quickly working or with the solution without needing a, a solution architect to, with you. But it's now useful to do to have this market entry strategy because in addition to it being educational, which is important to our first stage of entering the market, it's also helpful for us to, to troubleshoot our product. So our solution mm -hmm. architects kind of get back to the product team and engineering team was like, feedback and, and ways to, to iterate and make this product much more useful. Um, so in, in that case, it's a, it's a win-win. Yeah. Amazing. So you don't have any pure play sales people on the team. Everybody's a technical salesperson still. Is that how it is? Well, they were, well, we, we didn't really care about the background. So many of our team coming from a mix between tech or, or sales or both. And we kind of do internal education to get them where they, where they need to be. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how we, how we thought about it in the beginning. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, I could agree with you more on that one because, you know, my background is I, I was in on the sales side of sales side of tech, but I was very technical in terms of, you know, the curiosity of understanding how technologies work and, and, and why they work and just, just understanding technology, like, and, 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 and the attitude in Silicon Valley for a long time, and probably still the same way, is there was actually, there was a period where salespeople are really looked down on. They were called coin-operated idiots. There's a, there's this window where everything was software and cloud and self-serve and so on and so forth. And, and the founders of that, of that vintage were very despising of salespeople. And, yeah. and I was like, that's such a limited view of a human being, right? Uh, because you want somebody who is balanced, who can, who, who can actually think, understands the technical side, but can also engage with, with uh, customer interactions. I mean, we're not just, you know, one trick ponies in this, in this life, right? Um, yeah. So I love, I love that your team is, it doesn't matter where they come from, but you know, they should be able to speak the language and understand what you guys are building and communicate that. That's, yeah. that's going to be a killer team for sure. That's, a, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so talk about people and, and, and hiring and culture and, and that stuff, right? So, you know, how would you describe, I mean, your company culture to the extent you have one, right? It sounds to me that you guys are very, you know, cerebral, sharp, you know, top-notch kind of, because those are the only people you can work with when you're building yeah. something new, it's technical, it's, 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 and they're distributed. So they gotta be yeah. like, really sharp, right? What's your, what's your company culture like? And, and who, who fits into that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it's really funny because like, I remember when I wasn't on the founder side of things, I would really, when I hear these questions to founders and they talk about how amazing their culture is, I would be like, oh, you go like, come on, like you're asking the person, he definitely <laughs> sees, he definitely sees this culture as perfect, like you need to ask the employees kind of thing. So this is actually our culture. Like we come, we come from a place in which we, we kind of, uh, it's less about founders and more about figuring out how everyone should, should work together and there is a framework and there is process kind of thing. Uh, so, so in that case, we established 
given given how remote teams work, we establish a lot of transparency. We try to tell our team what's actually going on as as frequent as possible. Uh, we try to kind of unify appreciation because you know, like in each market, compensation can be different. Uh, like treatment can be different. We try to focus on like you're a global citizen. You're you're getting global compensation that is within within limits. You're getting uh, uh, equal understanding of the world together. We're learning kind of thing. Um, so so in that sense, uh, so far so good. We're we're kind of seeing it as uh, shaping with time. Uh, I am I am very uh, surprised of how difficult this is. Uh, you know, like just, uh, just, uh, once it started crossing a certain number of people, the fact that I'm responsible personally for people's day, like months to months salaries, you know, and, and the well-being and everything was just like, has a lot of stress, but also, um, but also felt like something really important to do and, and to stand, uh, to stand for uh, and, and all of that. So that's kind of, uh, kind of very important to us. And, uh, and speaking of actually investors, we, we did have even, uh, an investor pledge, like a document that we wrote down what we actually care about and asked our major investors to sign it for them to understand that like, we, we wanna, we wanna do this, this thing differently the most companies that we need to be aligned from the beginning because that it would be great to kind of be on the same page uh, that employees doesn't need to to be just a fuel for this uh, machine you know so yeah amazing very cool so how have you because hiring great talent is hard you know how what has your experience with been with that and yeah. do you have a process and what's your hiring process? If you have one, if, if, you know, what's your experience with hiring and how do you do it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we did that. We did a mix of everything. You, you publish things, you publish things online and, and wait for people to apply. And in parallel to that, you try to find like talents you admire and reach out to directly and tell them like, I, like, I think there is a potential here. We have been quite successful in in in, in the one-on-one reaching out for talents that we like, especially on the leadership of the senior level. Given how exciting the product is, how exciting the space is, uh, the team is exciting to work with, and then when we fight in the match, it gets quite easy to to build this rapport. Uh, our process is simple. We kind of do a vibe check if things work great. Uh, we give. We give our potential talent, whether they are headhunted or uh, well, we give them kind of a case to work on. In this case, it does two things for them. And we tell them that even in the call, it uh, it helps us see them uh, working. To, so to, to kind of like align on the philosophy and how they think about stuff. But it actually helps them see if this is going to be boring for them. <laughs> Uh, so they, they test also like, is this exciting problem to solve or is this just sound like everything else? Um, so we give them like a quick case to do it. And through this case, we kind of, uh, get an actual feel of like, if we are working together and how, how it will, uh, how it will look like. Um, and so, and so far, uh, my assessment, like of, of how this team is growing is, uh, is beyond my understanding to to where I am as a leader. You know, so that's really uh, really fantastic. You know, amazing. So the case is something that a problem you guys have solved for a previous customer or some kind of situation. What 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 does, what's the spectrum of the cases? <laughs> yeah, because not everybody's customer focused. I mean, how, how do you guys do? You have a stable of cases depending on the role. How does that work? Oh, you mean in in, in the hiring kind of case? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely for like, if if you're a product manager, you're getting definitely a, a totally different case than algorithmic case in the tech than like a business development sure. kind of uh, aspect. So we had multiple iterations of 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 this uh, of this case, and in this case as well, it's kind of like it looks like a case, but it's actually an educational assignment because in it we put actually we write down international peers that or, or competitors that they need to look at their website and kind of understand uh-huh. how this actually work. 
we, so we make them read some things to kind of, from these readings, what did you actually learn? Uh, mm. What are you going to actually do and, and stuff? And that unpacks a lot of like critical thinking uh, aspects of things. So it's not a traditional case uh, in like, here's an assignment to do it and, and, and come back. It challenges on the learning and, and uh, observing kind of uh, aspect of, uh, of stuff. Um, but yeah, startups gotta be quick. So the case has to be small. So the case has to right. still be like, so it's a, it's a really tricky part to, to balance, but, uh, but yeah, the, it, it has been, it has been really uh, successful for us as a, as a buffer to make sure we do not take decisions without thoughtful process in place, but it's still, uh, it's still quick. And we, and all our, com uh, our, uh, employees, whether, uh, coming from the inbound side of the applied or we reach out to them has to go through this assessment anyway, because it's a two-way kind of assessment because we want them also to say like, this is, this is not for me, uh, or, or not. That's, uh, that's the point that I think many, many companies miss, uh, on, on in this equation, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's a two-way street for sure. So, you know, fully remote uh company so what are some of the benefits and drawbacks you know maybe one benefit one drawback of fully remote i think uh i think humans in general get a lot of motivation from uh in-person uh in-person connection and i won't say this as a blank statement but i think everyone is in like a zoom fatigue kind of sure. position after like multiple <laughs> years, you know? So right. if they, if they appreciated the in-person communication at X, it's now 10 X kind of, uh, kind of. For sure. <laughs> I'm definitely there for, for sure. Yep. So we've been remote for the, for the last two years and I am, um, we're going back in, uh, into, into office. And just today I was actually looking at, at the property that we're going to be occupying and man, I am worn out. I want fumes. Yeah. I need to. I need to feel human energy, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So that's that's uh, that's the case these days. But I I think like most talent, and you're probably gonna feel that when you when you spend some time in the office after like multiple weeks or a couple of months into the office, you'll be like, actually, remote was quite flexible and and human oriented than I thought. Because it gives you it gives you more control over your time. It gives you more um, more ability to, to to juggle things in the way you want and 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 define things the way you want. And it helps us work together with with so many nationalities and cultures without without needing to build this barrier of um, of of uh, one size fits all in one location. And, I know. And all of yeah. That. So we are big big evangelists of. Of remote, we think it's uh, we think it's human. We think it's helpful. Um, we do believe that in person need to exist in a certain dimension every now and then as a kind of a battery charging. So we do this. We we gather the team in Egypt. We gather the team in Dubai. Uh, I'm hoping to kind of visit Lagos and get the, the Africa team as well. So we kind of like always have uh, charging. Uh, Charging uh, stations. Milestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Along the way, kind of situation. Cool. Yeah, man. I, I totally, I totally get that. Um, and, and I guess the benefit is you have more of a reach of talent you can hire from around the world, right? You, you're, you're not limited to just Cairo or Nairobi or all that. Um, 100%. so ch challenges. I mean, so what has been your biggest lesson learned in this journey? Oh, there's too many. Um, I think uh, I would define three. Uh, I think one on the on what's available for founders in the region, because what I see given to them in, in, in the Bay Area as well, you kind of have things like uh, product hunt and hacker rank and, and an active Twitter community and like. So you actually can find so many resources to build and iterate and grow things. If you came up with an idea tomorrow, you can, you can actually like spin out an MVP. Uh, on the other hand, in the region, I feel like there is a kind of an assumption that like the founder need to do stuff and come back and report to investors and 
and hopefully things are, are working well, kind of like a, a more alone position uh, in that case. So I feel like one of the biggest lessons is founders need to build this backbone early on, like who's coaching you, who's mentoring you, who are your peers that you respect. You need to frequently be talking to them with no reason. You just to have the Amazing. system yes. frequently uh, supporting you uh, before it gets deep, before it gets uh, too busy to to be able to to navigate this. That's on on, on like how, what what I learned personally how how much this connection needed to be there early on is something I I didn't do well and I think I'm I'm, I'm working on it at the moment. Um, I think also one of the biggest challenges for us is is the product is is, is multi-dimensional. So how to balance between learning and validating the business, right? Um, so so that we we can't be building too much, but we can't be uh, selling too much because this is not a product that will just sell without having the pro having the tech in, in the right place. Um, so this balance is one of the most difficult things we're, we're doing in the company. I think we are in a good place, like framework and process wise, but it never feels enough. We always feel like something need to change here. Something need to grow here. Something need to be iterated in, in, in this space. Um, so that's, I think, um, a challenge on, on, on all products that are, uh, that have an expectation of a bundle. If you are a CRM, if you are an applicant tracking system, if you are a payment management solution, this comes with a bag. It comes with yeah. like a group of things that the customer yeah. understands. Some of them you need to change. Some of them you need to keep as is. Some of them you need to kind of deliver low quality, high quality. This is, I think, the, the this is why the region doesn't have much SaaS uh, businesses. Is is, is this thinking is missing? We're learning it. Everyone is learning it. Hopefully we become one of the first companies to kind of push this boundary a little bit. Amazing. Amazing. You're breaking. We're all breaking new ground uh, in, yeah. in a different yeah. ways. So it's, it's quite yeah. exciting. Um, so, okay. So we'll, we'll kind of, um, as we begin to wrap it up over here, um, I will ask one question and then go into a rapid fire round. So mistakes and lessons learned. And I'll ask this, what would you do different now, if anything at all? What looking back in the last couple of years or even in, in life and how you can connect that, what would you do different, if anything? Uh that's a that's a very deep question to to wrap up with. I mean, uh, I mean getting back to the to the um, to the notes I just mentioned, I think uh i think building this support and coaching and mentorship capacity in the beginning is, is is something i would definitely put uh put effort on uh early um rather than that putting as many learning opportunities along the way uh which is also related to the mentorship and coaching so i think there is this assumption that uh entrepreneurs are, are building and flying the plane in the same time right uh, and this is ve this is very true, but most of the time, who who's flying the plane is actually the team, uh, not the founders. And the founders need to uh, to delegate, give ownership, give autonomy, and and focus on, on on learning and growing, so they are ready for the next challenge, kind of thing. Uh, so if I'm gonna do things differently, it's it's gonna be building the support system uh, early on and 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 make sure. Uh, we have a community of uh, of mentors and, and coaches. We actually do uh, have like a lot of angels networks that we work with that they are quite fascinating. So now like I'm unpacking this amazing potential we had all the time, but it was just like hidden with how busy I am and everyone is with, with everything. And I can see it's, it's quite fa fascinating the potential from unlocking such a network. So uh, I, I highly encourage any founder out there, your, your network is your biggest asset. Amazing. Fantastic. Very great. All right. So rapid fire round, I'll ask you, I'll say three, cent three words in succession and you'll just tell me what comes to mind. Right. Um, so you ready? Yep. <laughs> okay. Africa. So much potential, man. Entrepreneurship. Uh, so let's see. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're living in the Bay Area, so you, you, you're swimming in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So final one is 2030. Uh, things are going to be quite different for us. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Fantastic. Mr. Nader, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. It's, it's, it's just been a, an exciting energizing way to finish my Friday and for you to start your awesome. Friday, hopefully. <laughs> awesome. But, um, but yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks for coming to the Chini Magic podcast, man. Likewise, likewise. Really appreciate your thoughtful questions, Mark. Appreciate it.